Hey there, editing in this prelude before we start the pod because it was recorded yesterday, Wednesday afternoon, before we got the news late Wednesday that FC Dallas had four additional positive tests, this time three players and one coaching staff member, which now brings the number up to nine players, one staff member, since arriving in Orlando. And that doesn't count the three players that tested positive even before they left Dallas to go to the tournament. Buzz is counting that at this point, the club still has 19 players on the roster who have not tested positive, and there are no signs yet or indications that the team is in danger of having to forfeit the game or the tournament. That said, it is likely that by the time you listen to this, we may have even more positive tests since they are only now entering the window where players exposed during travel or in Florida could begin to test positive. There are still possibilities people exposed back in Dallas could continue to also test positive. Buzz is on top of this. You can follow him on Twitter at ThirdDegreeNet and obviously on his website, ThirdDegree.net. Now on to the pod. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and joining me today is a different group of people. First off, our longtime friend and the dean of soccer journalism in Dallas, the great Steve Davis. Hello, Steve. Howdy, boys. And, of course, your hero and mine, the founder and editor of thirddegree.net, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter, calling in today from Orlando, Florida, where I'm a complete lockdown, isolated, and on my own. Well, we had uh, talked about doing this podcast and and, uh, sourcing Steve for some great insight on the tournament itself, but uh, things have changed a little bit, and uh, and we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, just hours after Buzz broke the news of yet another set of positive tests for FC Dallas, and it turns out... Uh, that of all the positive tests that MLS have reported, I think I'm saying this right, Buzz, all of them are FC Dallas players. Yes, all six that they have admitted to in Orlando are FC Dallas players. So uh, just to provide a little background, you started reporting on this more than a week ago with an original set of players, well, the original uh, COVID positive test, which I think we found out later on to be Jesus Freya, correct? Yeah, that was back at the beginning of June, June 3rd. And then there was a, a, another set of players prior to departure that tested positive. Correct. That was on June 18th, which was a Thursday and or Friday the 19th. Um, and at the time, we released both of the names. And I will tell you that since then, one of them returned to training, which you can only do when you are cleared and tested negative. And the other one did not travel and has been isolated since then. So... All right. That so they, was the situation up till before the team left. So the team got on a plane, traveled to Orlando. Why don't you catch everybody up on what's happened in the last few days? Yeah, the, this is where it got chaotic. Um, as I said, the one player that had to, previously tested positive was obviously negative because he had been training before they left. And according to FC Dallas and Major League Soccer, quote, upon arrival, two players for FC Dallas tested positive. Now, I know who these players are, and I have chosen, in my first report, I put the names out, and I have chosen since then, I've changed my mind, I've decided not to put out the names. But what I can tell you is that, for me, this is where the problems begin, because upon arrival is the key phrase. Um, I don't know whether that means Saturday when the team actually arrived, or if it means Sunday morning, because the team trained Sunday morning, and of those two players one of them can be seen in the pictures and the B-roll from the Sunday morning training session. So there obviously was some sort of delay between these first two positive players and pulling them out of training. And I'm assuming that this is what's causing the problem. Now, that's an assumption on my part, but if a player is tested positive and trains, that's got to be bad. So he must they must have not gotten the information until after the training on Sunday. And then on Monday, the 29th, uh, they had a third player test positive. And then yesterday, Tuesday, the 30th, they had three more players 
test positive. So that's where we are with six players testing positive since arriving, but them leaving with no players having tested positive because the, the one guy had been cleared and the other guy didn't travel. So that's where we are. That's how we get six guys all in a bubble with FC Dallas. Now, I, uh, you have shared a little bit of detail information. While not naming names, you, you do have a sense of the mix of the type of players in relation to their importance as being starters or bench players. Yeah, they're the, of the six in Orlando, you could definitely say that some of them are starters or potentially were going to be starters. It's roughly 50-50 mix of starters and or probably not starters. And it's a little bit of a mix of young and old. And it's a little bit of a mix of domestic and foreign. So there's no like click, like just as a pure example that didn't happen. It's not like three homegrowns went out to a bar and like they all three tested. It's a, it's a total mix among the team, even positionally, it's a mix too. So uh, it's, it's not, it, it, the indicators are that it's something that happened from a group scenario of either the whole team on the plane or the whole team in that first Sunday training session. All right, so uh, it seems like a fair time to bring in the good Steve Davis. Uh, Steve, uh, do you have any particular insight or, or thoughts about all of this as this has kind of been coming out over the last few days? So I, I don't have any particular insight for you as far as personnel uh, or something like that. What I would, I guess I would say is that I, I underst- my understanding of this and, and, and my research shows that uh, – you can have this thing, and up to four days later, you've got about a 50% chance of a false negative. In other words, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to test positive right away. Like, if you test the day that you are actually exposed, there's pretty much a 100% chance you are going to show negative. Right. Um, so, in other words, it takes a few days for, this to, for, for a definite false, uh, for a definite positive to, uh, to, to reveal itself. So I guess my question is, where, you know, is this something that, as Buzz suggested, you know, it, it's, it's now being uh, spread, the contagion is being spread like on a plane and at team events, or was this something that was picked up back in, back in Dallas, where, uh, back in Frisco area, where we know in Texas, like in California and like in some other states, Arizona, whatever, the, the cases are spiking, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think there, there, there might be some kind of distinction there because we can get into this a little bit later. I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But, you know, I, I had this theory that's quickly being, is quickly, uh, being doused. But I had this theory that because these are young players and some of them are going out and, or just some of them are just family guys that want to be around family, whatever, that by putting them in the bubble, they might actually be safer, it might you might actually be able to contain this thing better than if they were you know in our home state right now where the thing is the thing is really spiking right mm-hmm. so i really thought that might be the case now i think the perfect storm where that would be the case is if two or three guys get it in dallas or you know in wherever the home market is be that Kansas city minnesota whatever they get it right before they leave and then they start spreading it as the team gets into the bubble. I think that's the worst case scenario. And and who knows? Maybe that's uh, that's what we're looking at here. Yeah, I think you've really hit the nail on the head in in terms of uh, my understanding about the how the virus uh, uh, you know uh, appears in the body and the timing and so forth. It's pretty clear yeah. to me that the people that have tested positive in Orlando didn't get it, it were not exposed to it in Orlando they were exposed to it in Dallas because it can take up to 5 days for the body to to build a viral load enough for a test to 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 detect it now there's a lot of vagaries and varies uh, varieties of that based on uh, the time, the the person individually, and then also the tests. Like all the different tests have different levels of sensitivity, but I think it is pretty clear that at least the people that have the six that have tested now, they have been in an Orlando for such a short amount of time. It's unlikely that their positive test is due to an exposure since they've arrived in Orlando. And the larger concern, in which ties back to Buzz's note of 
the particular player that was in training on Sunday morning is how many more positive results is, are the team likely to see in the coming days for all of the guys that have been exposed since they've landed in Orlando. And I, and that's the, I think that's the thing at this point everybody needs to kind of keep their eye on and their fingers crossed. Yeah, and I, and I don't – I'm not that familiar with the protocols. Maybe, uh, maybe Buzz is a little bit more familiar. But are the players uh, – I, I believe as with NBA, they're required to be in their rooms. Uh, no, you know, no players can be in other people's rooms. Are they, are they doing the proper things uh, away from the field? And if that's the case, then there's probably a decent chance that this thing hasn't gone through the team. Uh, but Buzz, do you, do you know about that? Well, I do know that upon arrival, they're quarantined for, I think it's 12 hours, uh, you know, and they arrived Saturday late afternoon. So they were quarantined until the next morning, basically. Um, and then as far as I know, specifically in FC Dallas's case, they have shut down the last two days, like yesterday and today. They did not train and have been basically in quarantine. And that information came from Taylor Twelman. Uh, and I did get that confirmed myself independently. So effectively in Dallas's case, they trained two days. They trained Saturday, uh, Sunday and Monday. No, just Sunday. Goodness. Oh, no, today's Wednesday. I'm sorry. Let me back up one second. <laughs> Today and yesterday, they did not train. So they did, in fact, train two days. I just mumbled the, fumbled the crap out of that. Sunday and Monday, they trained. So all of these cases are either happening from two days of exposure once they got here or the day they traveled or the day, a couple of days before they left Dallas. As you say, because it's a four or five day window and we can see a ramping up of these testings where it was like two, one and then three. You know, as guys probably got exposed over the, the the plane ride and then a couple of days in Orlando that they trained. So it's entirely possible that there's going to be more tests. You know, there's all kinds of crazy rumors oh, yeah. flying around about this team right now. And I'm not running anything else unless I get it confirmed, you know, that, that, that we are hearing for sure that there are more tests or not. If I hear that there's not more tests, that'll be great, too. Yeah. One of the things that I'm not clear on, though, is... So if you take any of any of these players, these six players, I, I, what I think I understand to be correct, and Steve, you may know this, Buzz, you may, please speak up, this does not mean that these six players are automatically done for for 14 days, that there are some other uh, abilities or rules or procedure that allows them to continue to be tested and then quote-unquote medically cleared that would allow right. them to return before 14 days. Is that correct? That's the language Major League Soccer used, the medically cleared. My assumption is that that means test negative and have no symptoms. You know, the 14 days that usually we, we require people to, to quarantine is that it takes seven days to get over the thing and then seven days more to be safe. That's why you see, like, doctors say 14. So whether whatever MLS is doing in line with their entire league policy and whatever doctors they're involved with, you have to hope – they know what they're doing because um, that's what medically cleared is. Because uh, if we want to go back to one of the very first examples from before, when I and I since we've already reported his name, I'll say it again. When Brandon Cervania tested positive, like four days later, he was back in training, having been medically cleared. And the other guy never did get back into training and didn't travel. So he obviously was continuing to test positive. So, um, yeah, and you know, the exact the specifics of it all, I don't know. Yeah, remember the the women's league, the Orlando Pride example, where I believe it was six players tested positive. They took the uh, significantly drastic step of withdrawing from the NWSL tournament, and a couple of days later, what was it? Half of those mm -hmm. uh, came tested. Uh, it, it was revealed that uh, those were false negatives or false positives. So, yeah. so there's that. So I, I believe uh, I don't know the official Major League so Soccer protocol. But uh, as far as being medically cleared, it's typically, you know, uh, uh, symptom-free for X number of days and X number of negative tests or uh, two negative tests over a period of two to four days or something like that. So, so yeah, it, it is absolutely the case that uh, quarantining just means, uh, you know, if you or I right now flying to New York, it just means, hey, you know, we don't know if you have anything, so you just be by yourself for 14 days and... You know, we just we just all hope for the best. And by the way, if you get it, then go to the hospital, but don't be around anybody in the meantime. So, yeah, that's not necessarily a 14-day a window that you're out. It's just until you're medically cleared, as you said. So considering that, um, by all accounts, Dallas is the only team with positive tests in Orlando, 
Uh, is that some sort of indication of, uh, you know, is it just unfortunate luck? Is, is is it a group of players that maybe were going through a dip? Dallas was handling it differently from every other club in, in the league. Uh, is that a reflection kind of to your point a little bit earlier, Steve, that they just have a much younger staff that maybe was a little bit more brazen in how they treated their themselves when they were out away from the team? I, that That's the one thing out of all this that bothers me is how did Dallas end up being the only one with this many positive? positive tests or actually any positive tests at all? So it, those are all legitimate questions. Um, my uh, questions uh, in response to your questions would be uh, what other teams are doing testing on their own, um, as some teams are, as FC Dallas was, before they leave for Orlando? Uh, what, uh-huh. how, forthcoming, how forthcoming are they being about uh, the, the, the rate of tests? We know there have been you know, positive tests, for example, in, in, in Miami. Uh, but I don't know what the league requirements are for these teams revealing any, any, any positive tests before they get to Orlando. Now, once they get to Orlando, the, I believe that's where the league steps in and, and, and they, are, uh, they are updating daily on who tests. But that's once teams arrive in Orlando. And I know there, there are teams uh, around it. Uh, Buzz, correct me if I'm wrong here. I, I don't even think L.A. gets in for almost another week. So there are still teams en route to Orlando. Some teams aren't even there yet. So I don't know what they, what their testing is back at home, and I don't know what their policy is on information sharing. Right. No, yeah, basically, a- basically teams are still arriving like two teams per day because they don't want to strain the system yeah. in Orlando. So it's a, you know, a, a, a tapered arrival. And, and Steve's correct that there was a Colorado positive case and there was a New England co- positive case. And one of the athletic articles mentioned that the league did not require teams to disclose their own positive tests. So there's no requirement for any of these teams to, to let any of this stuff out other than what or the league's doing in Orlando. So, I mean, in theory, prior to anybody getting to Orlando, it's possible that every team in the league has had at least one positive test. They just haven't told anybody about it yet. That's, that's uh, very right. possible. I mean, that, all the rumbles we've been hearing behind the scenes are pretty much every team in every sport and, and every level of soccer has got multiple mul- cases, and it's just they're all trying to keep it on the down low. Interesting. Well, I guess we'll just have to keep an eye on it. It's certainly in Dallas's case with six players uh, at, at, the, at the current stage uh, and, and some of those being starters, that is a bit worrisome. I, the other question is, is Dallas now at a disadvantage that they've lost two days of training going into the tournament? Do we know what the – and by the way, they, weren't they supposed to scrimmage NYCFC here in the next uh, few days? Is that on still or off? Does anybody know? I don't know if it's still on. Uh, it, they were supposed to scrimmage NYCFC on July four, and uh, don't know if don't know if it's still on or off. I, I guess I guess NYCFC might have something to say about it as well, huh? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, there's a rumor it was canceled, but we don't know anything definitive. I mean, we only learned about it because New York City put out a press release, so maybe they'll put out another one saying it's canceled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. We didn't. <laughs> we only found out about it from them. I forgot about that. Okay, well, uh, I guess we can put a pin in that and just keep an eye on it. And obviously, you guys uh, who are listening to the pod, uh, follow Buzz at Third Degree Net on Twitter. Is that's a, a great place and resource for uh, to get the latest and all of this stuff because Buzz has been doing some good uh, re- reporting on that. Oh uh, man, Buzz is getting national recognition. He is uh, he is absolutely doing 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 a smashing job on uh, the reporting on all this. Yeah, and you know what? To be cre- and to be fair to Buzz, it's it's a sensitive and weird subject in that you're dealing with people's medical information and and you want to be respectful of that stuff but at the same time uh i keep this is the conversation buzz and i had if the dallas cowboys had four players test positive for covid in in the weeks before the season started the media it'd be like headlines everywhere everybody would be all over it so uh credit to buzz for uh for figuring out the best way to handle it and and get the information out the, the base information out that needed to be out there well and peter if i may you know you asked a question a minute ago about other teams can i just suggest that if uh if 26 teams in Major League Soccer had a had a buzz, it was a, a cop on the beat like he is. That uh, we'd be we'd probably know a lot more about a lot more positive tests. Yeah, no, I I agree. Uh, we are very fortunate to have buzz. Uh, if you're a fan of the old FC Dallas, all right. That well, that, uh, that sound you're hearing is me blushing in the background. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. It's, 
There's all kinds of jokes there. I'll just leave them. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, let's talk about the tournament, and and I think we'll just get this part of it out of the way because it, it, without question, it's the one thing that I'm 99% sure the three of us are all going to agree to, which is it is literally impossible to predict the outcome of this tournament, how it's going to play out. It is literally a roll of the dice, and that if you think you can predict it, you are kidding yourself. Am I? Am, are we all in agreement on this? Uh, I certainly am. I mean, you could try, and we will probably try because that's what we do. Uh, and I also think that you can make certain assumptions. You know, we know Atlanta, you know, is a very talented team, and uh, you know, to predict that they're going to make the, the the round of sixteen, I don't think is is going going out on a limb. Uh, same for LAFC, although you know, Carlos Vela, who knows? You know, depending on. Who decides? Uh, we I, I don't I don't believe unless I'm wrong. We haven't had a significant major league soccer league play, uh, major league MLS player uh, come out and say, "Hey, I'm I'm not going to this thing just yet," uh, as we did with NWSL and several of the prominent U.S. women's national team players. So we, we can make some assumptions, but outside of that small little you know top the the cream of the crop up there, man, I just don't know what kind of assumption you can make because I I think it's going to be 100% a free for all depending on so many different factors. Let me just throw in a note because you brought up his name. Both Carlos Vela and uh, Chicharito's wives are pregnant and due to give birth. I, I'm not clear if both of them or just Vela's wife is actually scheduled to give birth somewhere in the window of the tournament, which obviously creates a problem because uh, my understanding is is that if you leave the bubble, you're not allowed back in. So... Uh, I think there's uh, some speculation out there that it's don't be surprised if one or both of those star players do not play in the tournament strictly for that reason. Um, and it's possible they're trying to keep that on, you know, they're trying to wait as long as possible before coming down with that decision. But that certainly either one or both of those guys missing the tournament for the very understandable reason would would greatly impact uh, the tournament overall. Yeah, I believe if uh, they won't let you near your newborn baby, if you've not tested positive, just been exposed to people that have tested positive, they won't let you in. I'm like, listen, I'm dealing with a family issue with the hospital right now. I can tell you that if you have been exposed to COVID, they're not letting you in. Yeah. Hmm. So. No, they, should, they shouldn't. I mean, it's a newborn baby without, without a, a functioning immune system. So you know, that's life or death stuff. So I don't think anybody would... Uh, it, it would be a disappointment if somebody like Carlos Vela is as is, is prominent as he is in the league if he didn't play in this tournament. But I don't think there's a reasonable soul out there that would that would blame him. No, not at all. No, it, it, it's just unf- look, all of this is uh, trying to make the best of a terrible situation and come up with something that the fans can enjoy and the league can somewhat monetize and, and, and so forth. So, uh, I, I, you know, if that's how it plays out, that's just how it's going to end up playing out. Sure. Um, I also wanted to point out, uh, since we last talked about it, I, or when we talked about it at some point in the uh, in the past, MLS has clarified one oddity of the setup of the brackets, which was the fact that Group A was unlike all the other groups with six teams in it. And it did seem a bit unfair when they said the best of the third-place teams uh, could qualify for the knockout rounds, which seemed to really <laughs> make Group A uh, uh, unlucky if you were in it. Now, that since then, they've announced that the fourth-place team in Group A would be gathered, uh, considered a, the in the group of best third-place teams. So you could have four teams out of Group A. And if you didn't hear that uh, change or adjustment in the rules, that's important to know uh, because that does help uh, make group a much more equitable to all the other groups as we uh, go in and talk about this putting together that 26 team field I mean, 24 teams easy 26 pretty tricky <laughs> yeah. harder, much harder well yeah. it was funny i i you know when uh, when all the news about dallas came out today and i started wondering i said well is there a scenario where they send fc dallas home and if they do how do they account for that and i thought well they'll just stick nashville back in dallas's spot and then i thought no that screws up group yeah. a because now that's enough that. <laughs> they can't do that either so yeah Oh no! Uh, you can't drop one team. You got to drop two tournaments. Or are none. S- two tournaments yeah. are tournaments are so hard to organize, and uh, you yeah. never make everybody happy. Yeah, poor Andy Swift. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. 
Absolutely, indeed. Okay, well, I don't really know where to go with this from here other than just to kind of talk a little bit about, Buzz, do you have any particular direction you want to go in this with uh, in terms of how we want to talk about the tournament? I thought we could just talk about each of the three matchups FC Dallas has, you know, talk about the opponent a little bit, what we know about them, you know, whether we think FC Dallas matches up well. And then maybe at the end of that, we can sort of try and make a prediction about where we think Dallas will finish in their group. Um, Because as we guys have talked about, it's impossible to really to handicap this thing much beyond that. And then maybe, maybe Steve already mentioned LAFC in Atlanta. Maybe we could throw out maybe who else we think might be in a favorites in each group or something just for the, just for kicks. Fair enough. All right. So Dallas has uh, Vancouver first up on the ninth. Uh, that game is at nine thirty. Uh, I think it's also is that one of the ESPN games? Do we? Do you know that's the Univision? The Univision game. Okay. T U D N. Okay. Well, uh, Buzz and Steve, you guys are the uh, better at this than I am. I'll let you guys take off with uh, Dallas versus Vancouver. Steve, would you like to go first? Uh, I guess. Go? Well, I, I guess the first thing I would say is. All of this is contingent on what kind of team Dallas is able to field. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, now Buzz, uh, you know, Buzz mentioned that some of these guys might be starters, might not be. Uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I see maybe two positions on the field where Dallas is a little bit vulnerable. Uh, maybe you could say center back. Um, you know, depending on uh, you know which which one of these guys, uh, but. But I, I see three very capable center backs there, so even even there, that is a little bit of cover. And then maybe over on the right side a little bit, but because you know Michael Barrios is so important. But honestly, you know, all over the field, if you just you scratch out a little uh, too deep depth chart, actually, I say too deep. You look at the midfield. I see eight guys in there without counting Thomas Roberts. I see eight guys competing for yeah. three spots. And, and, and any one of them, you know, pretty much any arrangement that you could make, especially considering how good Tespin looked, um, it, it just doesn't look that ter- It doesn't look terrible. It might not be ideal, but any arrangement of those eight guys for those three spots looks pretty good. So that's a good solid core. Is, you know, if, if Reto Ziegler and Matt Hedges can stay healthy, that's, that's a core. Uh, you, know, you, you do have two now capable strikers. Uh, Cobra scoring before uh, in the brief time that they got to play this year that uh, in the games against Philly and Montreal uh, and Frank O'Hara now in the mix, depending on how fit he is. So, so you know, if, if as long as this thing doesn't pull too many players off the field for Dallas, I think they're okay. We know that it's probably going to be Jimmy Maurer, not Jesse Gonzalez in goal. Uh, that's a little bit of an issue, but Jimmy Maurer is very, is very capable. So, for me, it, it kind of starts there, and then you ask about Vancouver in particular. Heck, man, what a, what an organization in chaos! I mean, this <laughs> one, they, it, this would have looked like they had a little bit of their stuff together and making some good hires, and it looked like they had a little bit of uh, stability in the organization. Uh, and then, then they go and make other front office changes at the last minute. I don't I, I don't know what to say about Vancouver otherwise other than they've been a bit of a mess for a while, and it looks to me like if if you were going to pick a team to start against in this group, Seattle, San Jose, I, I would have picked Vancouver, and Dallas gets to start with them. You know, Steve, yeah. uh, one of the things that I, since we have you on, the big storyline or the big question for me going into the tournament is Jesus Ferreira. Uh, uh, when we last saw FC Dallas uh, at the beginning of the season, Jesus didn't have actually two very good games and the game that they were about to play. I think we had learned that he likely was not going to start and Pax was going to take the position. Do you have any sense uh, where Lucci is with Jesus? You know, that's really his player. He really favors him. Uh, have you talked to Lucci or gotten any sense as to where he thinks um, Jesus is uh, going into the tournament? You know, I don't. I, I haven't been able to talk to Lucci uh, just one-on-one in a while. And I, I will say that, uh, gosh, guys, it, was, it, it seems like it was a, a year ago now that it they does. played. But, but, but I, I think Jesus was still carrying a little bit of an injury. And so if, if, if he mm. wasn't at 100%, uh, you know, Jesus is funny about it. You know, I, I remember looking at him, uh, some of those last trainings, and, you know, he'd come off the field early, and he seemed to be limping a little bit, and I would I'd pull him aside. Hey, Susu, everything good? Yep, everything's good, 100%. But you know, <laughs> I was never – <laughs> Paxton exactly does that. Paxton did that last yeah. year. 
and, and right after I talked to Jesus and he tells me that, I asked him, you know, how, how, how healthy were you at the end of last year? He's like, I couldn't take a step without pain. And of course, I would say, yeah. Pastor, you told me you're 100. percent He's like, Yeah, I did. I know. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that's what they are. You know, they're athletes, and they, and and, and that you admire it because they're not. You know, the the idea is in their minds. I'm not making excuses. You know, if I can if I can walk, I can play. So you admire that. But but when Jesus told tells me that, I, man, I, I just have to say I, I'm not convinced that he wasn't carrying a little bit of an injury in those two games. Buzz, any uh, additional thoughts about uh, uh, maybe we may end up repeating some things we talked about last week, but anything you want to add to what Steve said about the first game? Uh, yeah, well, first, um, let me throw in on the FC Dallas side that um, I'm, I'm hearing more information that a three-man back line may legitimately be an option because we talked about they worked on it a bunch in the spring, and last week we kind of said that uh, maybe it's in the back pocket as a possibility. Well, no, I've heard more that it's actually legit. That that's you know you got a let's say maybe a fifty fifty chance now so that you might see that rolled out in game one. Um, obviously, available players may dictate a lot of tactics, but uh, you know that's definitely in the mix as a tool for FC Dallas. I'm, now, uh, hold sorry, on before ahead. before you move on, I'm interested. What what do you think is driving uh, if in fact that is the case? What is it tactically that Lucci is trying to correct or change about the team if he is thinking about move? And is it a is it a kind of a three four two one or is it more a, a traditional three five two? Uh, it was the in the spring. It was more a traditional three five two. Some of it may be an attempt to figure out how to play both Cobra and. Um, uh, hard at the same time, perhaps. But my biggest thing is I think that it allows your wings, um, Hollingshead and Cannon, to be wider and higher. And that that lets you then narrow your midfield and your front line. And so, and then if you're using Jesus as a winger, for example, he can play inside as a false wing, more as a 10 almost. Um, it allows Barrios more freedom to come inside, you know, because that's what he wants is those slashing, you know, angling runs from his wingers. He doesn't want, he wants the outside back to make the end line run, not Barrios and not who Pico or whoever's on the other side. So those are my uh, guesses as to why you go with that kind of formation. Um, with the three man back line too, you can, you can have a little bit more protection when you go up against the two striker system, you know, in particular, um, specifically in reference to Vancouver, they are not from what I've been reading about them this morning, they're maybe in the middle of transitioning formations. So I'm not a hundred percent sure what they can do. And what they had been doing is a four, four, two. So it's possible that three man back line will be in a response to Vancouver. Um, and I can, if you want, I'll just keep going about Vancouver. If, uh, or if uh, unless you, well, hold on, one sec. I, I, I'm inter- I, hold on one sec. I'm, I'm interested to hear from Steve. Steve, do you have any sense that Lucci needs to change the tactics of the team? So I can tell you for absolute certain that uh, three five two or three four three, depending on how you kind of shape it. And remember, sometimes the shape changes with Lucci depending on whether they have the ball or don't have the ball. But I can tell you that uh, three man back line was one hundred percent in the plans this year. Uh, look, I'll just tell you. I think we've we may have even talked about it before. I don't think it's a big secret. Uh, they were going to use a three man back line uh, on the trip to NYCFC. Uh, you know, you remember that before all this started, they were darn near ready to get on the bus to get on the plane when they when everything got shut down. Uh, so I uh, so don't take this three man back line thing as anything they're doing for the tournament uh, or anything they're doing for Vancouver necessarily. Uh, this was part of the plan. It was something Lucci wanted to do last year. He just didn't feel like he got far enough along uh, in terms of uh, scheming out everything else and 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 really kind of. Uh, dialing in the tactics on the, on the four-man back line. So uh, in the offseason, they spent more time with the three-man back line. It, it, he wanted the tactical versatility this year to be able to go four-man or three-man uh, pretty much at the drop of a hat. And so not any kind of a surprise if, for me if they go to three-man against Vancouver or, or in any of these games and then go back to a four-man. 
him on the the opposition. Okay. Yeah, so, they used it extensively in the spring in preparation, maybe even yeah. close to half the time in the spring, just so that they could, as Steve says, switch from game to game or even in the middle of a game. You know, tactically fluid. Okay. Lucy loves tactically yeah. flu- yeah. fluid. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. The difference between a three and a four man back line begs a question. Who's the player that makes the change? Is it a player that shifts his position on the field to account for a three man back line, meaning somebody moves from midfield to center back? Or who comes off the field so that a center back can come on? Because I'm assuming uh, Ryan and Reggie stay on and just end up yeah. pushing up field. Where does that change come tactically uh, in, in the roster? Brisson comes on for a winger. You lose a winger and you add Brisson, basically. Okay. So like your front, and then you end up with the two in front, your windshield wipers, right? And then your two wingers on, out wide. And then your front combo either stays like a pure Tim with two strikers or if you play three four three, it stays winger striker, two winger striker. So it's either round or point, you know. Okay, uh, Steve, did you have any? I, I'll ask you this question: Did you have any particular uh, sense as to why Lucci thinks this is uh, a, a, an adva- an advantage for him tactically to move to a three man back line? So I think sometimes he just felt like the team got a little predictable. Uh, with that four-man backline setup, and in terms of the shape of the team moving out of the back, remember this team possession out of the back is everything. And sometimes he thought they got a little stagnant that way. I also think that just as Buzz said, you know, the ability to uh, shake up the personnel a little bit. You know, last year we all sort of agreed that left side was was an issue. Fafa Pico was brought in to address that, and I think he did. Uh, he did okay in the attack, and I think he did exactly what they thought he would do in, in terms of the press. He's a, he, last year, he, he may have been the best pressing winger in Major League Soccer, but it still gives them some kind of flexibility in that if, you know, you know look, they can't just keep, you know, going to the whip on Michael Barrios. You know, they, they, they just play him and play him and play him, and at some point, you're going to have to give him some kind of break, and so that he gives you tactical flexibility there that you can take him off the field. If uh, Fafa Pico or you know Santiago Mascara for whatever he's going to do for you, if they're not getting it done, you can you can remove that element off the field. Uh, you, you know, getting Brisson on the field was was uh, another consideration because that was a guy that all last year Lucha Gonzalez talked about and his professionalism. He was a starter for a big club uh, down in South America. Came here was the ultimate professional. Never complained about his role. Uh, but uh, Lucci really liked him in training, so maybe get him on the field. Again, getting uh, maybe two strikers on there, maybe getting Jesus Ferreira into a position where he's that second striker, which is probably what he's better at, not not the high man. And, you know, if you look at Jesus Ferreira, some of us look at him and say, is, is he really a midfielder? Huh? Maybe, maybe not. Is he really a high striker? Huh? Maybe, maybe not. We all think he might be better as that underneath striker that gets him in the position. So I, I just think... All of that stuff together, Lucci says, well, let's be able to go into that three-man that three-man back line, 3-5-2, 3-4-3, whatever you want to call it, and see if we can get just squeeze a little bit more out of everybody in this way. And then if, you know, not or on certain games, we go right back to what we know and what we drilled for a year, which they think, you know, they, they know it well enough now. They can move back into the uh, into that 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to call it, and, and not miss a beat that way too. So if we, um, instead of going on about Vancouver, let's move on to the next game because we're going to all assume that the COVID positive tests have come to an end and, and, and there's more than enough time for everybody to get healthy. And on July 15th, we have the most oddball scheduled of all of the games in the, in the MLS's back tournament. The West Coast team, Seattle, and the Central uh, time zone, Dallas, playing it. 8 a.m. in the morning on the East Coast uh, against uh, each other. And, and, and this is always a fun game between the two. But, I, you know, as, as somebody who formerly lived in for- Florida, I am worried for the uh, well-being of both these guys because what I'm not sure everybody knows, the level of humidity in Florida up until about 11 o'clock in the morning is brutal. It's usually right at about 100%, and the, it's hot, and it's it will literally suck the life force out of you. So this will be an interesting slog of a game, I suspect, uh, on the morning of the 15th. Well, depending on how Seattle has adjusted their body clocks. Yeah. Because that's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys. I think it's 9 a.m. there, uh, 8 a.m. here. 6 a.m. in Seattle. 
6 a.m. in Seattle. So, you know, so they're dealing with that. And I, I'm and you need hours they, of prep before that, too. <laughs> right, right. You have to eat don't... like a midnight meal, get up, make up, wake up in the middle <laughs> of the night, and eat a meal, and go back to bed. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, they're going to bring some of that strong Seattle coffee with them. I'm sure they'll be just fine. Uh, but also, they can't have been 100% acclimated to it by then. So maybe this, maybe Dallas catches just a little bit of a break here and that they get to play Seattle, uh, you know, under what have to be less than perfect favorable conditions for both teams, but probably more so for, for Seattle, I would say. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely, for sure. And the oddity is, is that the league scheduled this when there are two East Coast teams playing the night game the evening before. The ten, they're playing the 10:30 East Coast game between New York and Orlando on Tuesday on the night before this game. So they could have just swapped them out, and it would have made a lot more sense. But they didn't call and ask me to help them schedule the tournament. So. <laughs> no, maybe, you maybe they should have. <laughs> <laughs> should. Well, it would seem so obvious. Um, okay, uh, anything in particular about that game that you guys want to talk about in terms of something to look for, or think about, or it's just sure. way too early to do that. Well, we don't know a lot about them yet, but th- their two big ads this winter were a Brazilian midfielder named João Paulo and a Colombian center back, uh, y- Yaimar Andrade. <laughs> I don't know anything about either one of those guys, but they're supposed to be, you know, when you bring in a big foreign acquisition, they're supposed to be mixed into the team. And I think you can expect both of them to be playing, you know, how, how much they're going to affect the team and how much better they're going to make a team that's already really, really good is a is an important question because you're talking about a team that still has Rui Diaz and Jordan Morris and Nicholas Ladero. I mean, Christian Roldan is like the guy you forget about. He's in the national team. You know, this is a legitimately stacked team and clearly our group favorites for, for me, even though I like FC Dallas's chances. No arguments for me. It looks like uh, Nico Ladero is, is healthy and available. So uh, Jordan Morris, we all know uh, how well he was playing. Uh, at the end of last year, so they, they are to me clearly the group favorites. Uh, I would, I would probably slot in FC Dallas right underneath that. Although you know, I, I, I have some, I, I have some thoughts about San Jose that, uh, uh, that that would worry me a little bit if if I'm FC Dallas. So um, I, I think it's good that FC Dallas gets a little bit of an, of an advantage in playing them early, and uh, uh, it'll it'll be the best game of the group, I think. And then we move over to uh, the third game, which is on the 20th, five days later. It is a 7 p.m. Central Time start. Uh, it is uh, the aforementioned Earthquakes. Uh, I want it Now I'm dying to hear what Steve's insight about the San Jose is. Mateus Almeida. Yeah. Uh, he, he has the freshly shorn hair. He's been a bit... <laughs> He, he's been a bit of a tournament specialist uh, in his time at Chivas. Uh, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he won four tournaments. Oh, really? Um, yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, a couple of uh, Copa MXs. Uh, I think, uh, well, I know he won, they won CONCACAF Champions League. So, so you know, we talk about uh, teams in World Cups as being, you know, good, good tournament teams and teams that go into the tournament. They know how to manage the group. They know how to build as they go through the tournament. So there is a little bit of a specialty. You know, you have to bring the World Cup expert back on, Andy Swift, you know, to talk <laughs> about, uh, you know, tournament specialties. But uh, I think there is a little bit of an art to that. And also, uh, you know, we know they play that different system, the, the man marking system. Uh, I, I think now as teams really, they're just back into another preseason and they're still worrying about uh, – uh, you know, they started from the back. They work on build out. They work on midfield play. Now they start working on patterns and attack. <clears throat> One thing they're not working about is game planning specifically for. They, they they can't spend a lot of time to game plan specifically for one system, and that's what that's where San Jose can kind of get you. And also, let's don't forget that San Jose uh, was just was just flummoxing teams with this system of theirs early last year, and then they just completely wore down because Almeida wore them down. <laughs> uh, so you know now they come in fresh. So I, I, yeah, I think San Jose could be uh, one of the wild cards here. Yeah, keep in mind that with a guy like Juan Lonowski on the bench, that uh, having the five subs allows you a lot of tactical freedom to bring him in when you might not if you only had three subs. You can bring him in late for an impact. You know, and if you're talking about a knockout tournament phase, if he can get his team out of the group, you know, they can make some noise if they can get out of the group. Their new player is a is a one named guy Judson in the midfield who. Uh, probably will get in there eventually for, I'm going to guess, Erickson, because they still have Espinosa and, and Yule in the midfield who are pretty good young players, young-ish players. 
Do we, uh, uh, can we all just safely, well, I get you guys will know this. Um, what do you think the likelihood Lucci was going to either by hook or crook or, or, or force necessity? And I guess now this is, this question's too late considering the COVID situation, but what was the likelihood we were going to see a lot of the, the super youth on this team? There's, uh, Cervenia, Cerrillos, Thomas Roberts, uh, those guys, Ricardo Pepe, getting time uh, in the course of these three games, or or was it really just an effort of just trying to figure out how to take your best, you know, fourteen or fifteen guys and and get those guys squeezed out in those three games? Uh, well, you said it, man. All bets are off now, aren't they? Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's it's a great question because there's a lot uh, there's a lot that. I think Lucci would want to juggle here, right? I mean, of course you'd want to get uh, young guys on the field, especially as nobody's going to be in op- optimum shape. Uh, you've got five subs, so that, that allows you more latitude in getting more of those guys on the field. Uh, on the other hand, you've got a Brian Acosta who hasn't uh, – I don't know when's the last time he, he had a match. Uh, I don't know. Some of the preseason you – know, back, way back in preseason – uh, before he got hurt, I think, or did he? Buzz, did he even play in the preseason? I can't remember. Or did he get that surgery in oh, February? Gosh. I think he got the surgery in February. So I, okay, so I, I think the last yeah. time he actually played. Now that I think about it, was last fall. So he he needs some match sharpness. Uh, you know, Tiago Santos looked good, but he's still adjusting to the team. So you still want him to, you, you want to get him on the field as as much as possible. Um, so so the, a lot of different things are, are are being juggled there, including now, who's available. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For for me, you mentioned it that Acosta, Brandon, Cervania head to head is probably the best battle, singular battle on the team right now. I mean, you can even throw a testament in that mix too. But those two guys are both. I actually personally rate Cervania over um, Acosta myself. So I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Well, you know, it's so hard to do this because we've just repeatedly said it's almost impossible to make any predictions of what you're going to get out of this tournament. Um, just based on uh, the fact that teams haven't been practicing, you don't understand what kind of how teams have been preparing. I mean, it's 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 hard to predict at, uh, how a, an MLS season is going to roll out at the beginning of the season, even after you've had all of the preseason games and ability to watch. We have none of that uh, evidence or or information in front of us. So this literally is just going into this whole thing blind. And maybe everybody should just go into it and just enjoy the darn thing. Yeah, and, and you look, you know, I think Lucci had uh, one thing going for him and that he had a closed-door exhibition against NY, NYCFC. He was going to be able to, you know, make some assessments. Uh, you know, Frank O'Hara, how, 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 how fit is he? Is he fit at all? You know, is Acosta uh, in any way, shape, or form ready? Uh, you know, is Paxton going to get, you know, going to get 60 minutes and then, you know, have a recurrence of, you know, is there going to be some soreness? He had one thing going for him, and now I, I, I don't know if that's going to happen. So even that just adds to the uncertainty of it. Do we know if other teams have been having are planning on having uh, scrimmages or, or you know, pre-tournament games? I, I haven't seen or read anything about that. Was the that's Dallas, the only one I knew of. Yeah, I don't know if the Dallas-New York thing was unique or, or common amongst all the teams. Do I, you, I, don't think a lot, I don't think a lot of teams can. But, you know, Buzz mentioned a while ago, teams are still uh, getting into Orlando. Uh, you know, as we sit here and record this, uh, oh, guys, what is it, July 2nd? Is that right? Is it first, second, second? No, first. 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 Yeah, t- it says today's first. Uh, so you know, t- teams are still rolling in there. I I don't know if they they're, they're going to actually have time. You know, to uh, uh, you, we know that they weren't allowed to have anything besides you know their uh, scrimmages within the team before they left, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, a, a, a team that gets in this weekend and then they play you know on the uh, on the tenth or something, do, do they even have time to to do an exhibition? I I, I think at some point. It gets problematic just in terms of getting uh, getting in there, getting that exhibition, and getting enough rest for everybody. Yeah, by the way, Steve, uh, happy halftime. We are on July 1st. We're halfway through 2020, so certainly we can have some sort of epic <laughs> comeback in the second half of this year um, and and uh, overcome the the drubbing we've been taking in the first half of the year. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I love your optimism, but uh, right now I— They had I, us at I, halftime. I, yeah, right now I feel a little Norwich against Arsenal, down down by what two or three at the half or whatever. <laughs> Wait, you're saying we're Norwich? 
Yeah. Wait, is it, do, yeah. wait, hold on a second. That means not gonna lie, man. That not mean, gonna lie. <laughs> that means saying if, if your arsenal is actually a good thing. That's that's pretty. Oh, bad. that's even more indicting, isn't it? It is. We're, we're, right now, this 2020, we're striving to be Arsenal. Oh my heavens! Yeah, some days I'm happy to be Arsenal. Right. <laughs> you could just be Mesut Ozil, just sitting up in the stands under a parasol, I don't, under yourself. an umbrella, <laughs> cashing your fat checks. Yeah. Uh, where was I going with all this? Uh, oh, um, uh, man, I had a thought off the top of my head, and now I'm trying to uh, dig it back out. Um, uh, either one of you have anything else that you guys want to talk about while I uh, try to resurface that idea? Yeah, I'll, I'll throw well, first something. Of all, you I just, first I wanted to say one thing. <laughs> I just wanted to say one thing about Vancouver is they have a new guy, Lucas Cavallini, who's a pure nine. They got him from Liga MX side Puebla. So um, going back to the three man line a defensive line for FC Dallas it's entirely possible because I think if you defuse that guy limit his him getting the ball you probably will be able to stifle Vancouver so um, that all leads into the discussion of why you might see a three-man back line against Vancouver um, actually, this uh, is uh, uh, this is perfect segue because this is what I wanted to ask about because I haven't had a chance to talk to Steve about it. That we've we've mentioned this before in the in in the uh, last couple of weeks that the great news is for Dallas, Frank O'Hara has joined the team. We've heard that his visa has been approved. He hasn't received it yet, but by all accounts, he'll be available to play. Uh, I'm interested in your perspective, Steve. Everybody, uh, for good reason, is excited about his addition. How long do you think it's going to take him? Because we've always heard, you know, Oscar was very, uh, very uh, consistent in his messaging about the time it takes players to, you know, acclimate to playing in Major League Soccer. What kind of turnaround time do you think we should anticipate with a player of that pedigree, um, uh, you know, coming into the team? So I would say it's mostly contingent on two things. Uh, number one, what is this level of fitness? And it's a weird time for everybody, man, because you know everybody shut down mid-March. Uh, this wasn't just Major League Soccer. So uh, I, I think well, I may be wrong. Liga MX may have gone like what another week or two, something like that. But you know, roughly the same time. So you know, what is this level of fitness? And then what is his ability? to do the right things in the press that Lucci wants. Because remember, that's why Zenek Andrasik didn't play early last year, mostly just because he just uh, he, he wasn't on board with the pressing cues. And so it, in a high press, you know, one guy doesn't do the right thing. The whole thing breaks down and, and it frustrates everybody else. So that said... Uh, I think if you are a right back, if you're a, if you're six, certainly if you're an eight, and you've got all these patterns to learn on the build out, you know you've got a pretty significant transition time. If you're a striker, again taking just kind of assuming that he understands the pressing part. If you're a striker, you pretty much got one job, don't you? You, you know, get around goal and put the ball in the net. And as long as you can do that, if, if you can do that, you know, once a game, well, if you can do that once a game, you're world class. But if you can do that, uh, really score every other game, you're doing a great job as a striker. So uh, I, I would say in answer to your question, uh, significantly less time in the understanding of a system if you're a striker as opposed to most other positions. Goalkeeper, I guess, would be the other one. Buzz, you want to throw in there? I think that was a pretty good synopsis for why it uh, does not take as long to be a striker impact. The, the other the other side of that coin would be that I would imagine that Frank O'Hara has played a whole lot of time in um, the kind of formations that Lucci runs. You know, you generally speaking, your four three three or you know the the other things we've been talking about today, a three five two or a three four uh, three four three, one of the two. Um, and is not going to have any problem at all picking up a press. Uh, he has been, he was working um, on his own with um, some other clubs, not, not Pachuca. He was doing stuff at another club um, on his own to try and be fit. And the, in the video they showed of him, he doesn't look bad um, by any means. Of course, we all know, uh, Stephen, you know this for sure, and I know you, Peter, that there's a big, big, big difference between game fitness and running around the training ground fitness, especially sure. when you're training by yourself. Uh, you know, these guys are all competitive and I've made this point before when you're competitive and you're doing a drill by yourself, you still do the drill pretty hard, but not nearly as hard when there's a dude right next to you banging the ball into the goal. You know what I mean? So uh, it's going to be a, a, a real crapshoot as to how 
in sync the whole team is and how fit the whole team is. We have no idea what we're going to get because practice has been closed for what, four months now. So, um, you know, cross your fingers that it'll be pretty quick. I will say that Hara was very good about saying all the right things about, you know, his time will come when he gets fit and when he gets down with the system and Lucci said the same thing. So, but, uh, you don't have your owner go out and get the guy he's been dreaming about for three years and then not play him. So I would, I would bet money on sooner rather than later for him playing. Yeah. And some guys, if I can add there, uh, some guys will show up and of course they, and they want to be good teammates. They want to go out and perform. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they check the, they check the boxes, but then some guys come in and they are engaged. They are in it to win it right away. And everything you hear about him, I, I think we sort of saw that with Zenek Andrasik, right? But then uh, just on the field, you know, he just, his technical ability just wasn't there. The speed of, speed of thought on some things. Like, he, he was engaged. He was in it. Everybody loved his, his effort and what he brought to the locker room. But maybe he just didn't have the technical ability and, and, and he wasn't sharp. And, and again, he, he wasn't confident maybe because he didn't know the right pressing cues. He wasn't getting playing time. With Frank O'Hara, I think he's got all of that. He's got the juice already, but he's come in. And from everything I've heard, you know, he goes, he sits down with the coach. He's the one asking questions. It's not the coach asking the questions uh, and him giving, you know, whatever answers. He's the one asking questions. He's engaged. He is interested. When he goes to other members of the, of the team staff, he is the one finding out how do you guys do this? How do you guys do that? And to me, those are the those are the little things that say they, they may have really stumbled on something here. Well, uh, that is all uh, happening in due time. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to see him at least a little bit in the first game. It certainly uh, provides fans something to be excited about, especially a signing like that. So. Um, I'm super hopeful, and it certainly worked out uh, to ever, to the club's best favor the way it ended up uh, transpiring in his arrival to the team. All right, uh, so the games will start next week. Uh, Dallas has their first game against Vancouver on the 9th. Um, we, you know, uh, <laughs> right now it's just kind of a waiting game to figure out which t- players are available uh, and if we have any more uh, positive COVID tests. You can certainly just, uh, as we said before, follow Buzz on Twitter or on the website, thirddegree.net. Uh, for all the latest information. Uh, And I do have one more question. Either one of you may know the answer to this. If Dallas was to get into a situation where they have even more positive tests and begin to uh, kind of slack up on the roster, can Dallas or any team at this point bring players into the tournament from like there? Could Dallas bring in players from uh, North Texas if they needed to? Does anybody know the answer to that? Well, Dallas has a couple of open roster spots. Um, so they technically, in terms of the rules, they can add players. Um, they'd have to get down below, I think you have to get below 14 and stay under 14 available players before you can do a hardship signing, but that's not a problem for them. Um, I believe they've said that the roster rules are, have been loosened for this tournament, which to me meant, yes, you can bring in somebody if you need to. So they're, they're allowed to bring sick players. Lucci said that for sure. Like if a guy had to stay home and then gets healthy, he can come. So there's nothing to prevent you to come to the tournament. So, therefore, if you signed a player, he can come too. I, I think even if you test – I could be totally off on this, but it, it seemed to me that I saw that Miami had one player test positive and then said everybody's traveling. So, hmm. <laughs> so I don't wow. – that hmm. may be – and maybe I'm just wildly off on that, but maybe it's possible you're even bringing somebody that tests positive and then just stick them in a – in a bubble somewhere and tell them stay away from everybody and, until I, I I'm not sure though. Yeah, I guess you could quarantine them. <laughs> I guess I have a I have an, a, a mental image of guys, some guy just being stuck in a single room at the Swan eating really crummy looking sandwiches out of a, pla- a paper box. It might be down to that. <laughs> yeah. It's 2020. The saddest, the saddest of all the situations. <laughs> This, the saddest situation for any Major League Soccer player. Uh, all right, gentlemen, uh, one last opportunity to throw anything else in there that we have uh, or I have forgotten. Buzz? Well, let's let's do picks. Let's pick a winner for each group. Oh, no. It won't take that long. You well, okay. I, it, yeah. Okay. No, no, that's fine. I just uh, I, I this is literally like throwing uh, crap yeah. on a wall. Okay. That's fun. All right. Group A, Steve, you want to be the first to throw crap on a wall? Seattle. It's easy. No, that's not Group A. Group A is the big group with all the East. Ah, 
you ah, oh, you're right. I was, I was looking at. Uh, and I, I just wanted to cherry pick a little bit. Thanks, for, thanks a lot, Peter. That's awesome. Okay, no problem. So, how about uh, if I can't pick Seattle, then let, let's give Oscar. Let, let's give uh, let's give Poppy a little bit of love, maybe uh, because they'll be inspired by being the home team. And uh, I, I know everybody loves NYCFC, but. I'm just I'm gonna pick Orlando and I'm just gonna die on the hill. How about that? No, I think that you know actually it's interesting you say this because I'm wondering, Steve, have you uh, have you heard from or talked to anybody that is aware of how that's how his time in Orlando is going to date so far? Because I haven't. Uh, I, I've heard absolutely nothing negative about it. Uh, of course, we didn't have a big sample, you know, before everything. I don't even down. know. I don't even recall how their first couple of games went. Do you? I don't even. I, I don't recall. I don't recall anything. I, I barely. I don't recall either. You, you, you and me <laughs> in Sunday's pickup game. I mean, I, no. I had. There were zero one and one. Sure. <laughs> uh, and, uh, of course, and I'm sure that it was. Uh, they were both one zero or zero zero. Wasn't it a zero zero to start? Very awesome. Zero zero against Salt Lake, and then a two one yeah. loss to Colorado. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, last week when we did the pod, I had to admit, I couldn't remember what Dallas's first two games were, what the results were. I just literally couldn't remember. And then in the course of the conversation, things started to come back. But good Lord, you're right. It does seem like it was a year ago. All right, Buzz, who's your group A uh, champion? Yeah, well, I was going to go out on a limb and picked Orlando second in that group behind New York City. And then Steve stole my thunder and went with them first. (laughs) So, you know, home field advantage. And I think Poppy's, you know, a... a wizard. So I got New York City first, Orlando second. It's a crapshoot. It's a tournament. I'm going yeah, with it's the, fun. the power of pink. I'm going with Inner Miami CF because they oh, got the they got the new Breck Shea. So I'm gonna I'm gonna they're gonna be a a, a dark horse group winner right. out of there. Yeah, I'm picking them last because they thought they needed Breck Shea. Okay, now we're. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but here's the deal. You have to give them credit that at least they signed Breck to a USL deal uh, on low money and then promoted him to the senior team. At least they didn't give him the four hundred and fifty thousand dollars uh, Atlanta gave him. Fair point. It was smart. All right. So uh, Group B is the Dallas group. Uh, Steve, I mean Buzz. Who are you picking? Oh, I got Seattle as well as Steve. He already said Seattle earlier. All right. Well, screw you. Dallas both. second. I'm taking Dallas to win the group. Yeah. COVID or not, mm. I'm being Dallas positive. Yeah. Uh, all right. Why not? Dallas is being positive. You might as well be positive. Oh man, that's inappropriate, Buzz. You're welcome. Uh, group C, Toronto, New England, Montreal, and DC United. Uh, I will go first. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna say Bruce Arena and the New England Revolution. I don't know why. I know why because it's it's the Bruce, and uh, he wants to show that he always wants to show he's the smartest kid in the room. And so I'm I'm with you, man. Okay, all right, Buzz, who you taking? Montreal. Montreal. Okay, Group yep. D for Doom is. By, uh, by the way, that's that's probably the better pick. I, I I think what Thierry Henry was doing with Montreal was really cool, and you know they 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 darn near beat Dallas here, and so I yeah. I really think that's a better pick. I just wanted to. I, it's just more interesting to pick the Bruce. Uh, group D is Salt Lake, Kansas City, uh, Colorado, and Minnesota United. Buzz, you go first. Uh, sporting, I think uh, Vermees gets it turned around fast. Like as an amazing coach. All right, uh, Steve, who are you taking? I, I, I like that too, but don't sleep on Colorado. I, I, I'll pick Colorado just to be different because Robin Frazier had that team playing so well at the end of last year. He's a hell of a good coach. Yeah. Uh, as we're seeing. Yep. I'm trying to think. Who? Uh, all right, I'll be different, and I will take Salt Lake. I don't know why, just to be different. Okay, so, so now what, what we've done is we've all given Adrian Heath all exactly what he likes. Now he's going to say, see, nobody picked us. Nobody picked us. <laughs> like, you, you guys remember he was doing that all last year? And people kept saying, uh, actually, do, Adrian, yeah. pe- pe- actually, people have picked you. No, no, nobody picked us. Nobody, nobody picked us. us. Here's the crazy thing about Adrian Heath. I We were having a discussion somewhere, either on this pod or on the show, about the oldest coach in Major League Soccer, and I immediately assumed it was Adrian Heath and found out it's not. It's Bruce Arena, but there's yeah. no way Adrian Heath looks younger than Bruce Arena. What about that? Have you seen Bruce Arena lately? Maybe <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen Bruce in person lately. Does Bruce look yeah. pretty? Does Bruce look pretty tore up at this point? 
I wouldn't say tore up, but, uh, you know, he, but, but Bruce always had that little bit of low-energy hangdog anyway, you know. Yeah, that's true. He, he's, he's stupid, you know, that, that kind of <laughs> thing. So, uh, oh, wait a second. I, I'm not, wait. I'm not, saying Bruce, I'm not saying Bruce Arena is stupid. No. I'm saying he, Bruce Arena thinks a lot of people are stu- no, stupid. Like, he says dopey. that a lot. He's, I need he's, an, he's dopey. I need yeah. an entire podcast where Steve does his part in his Bruce <laughs> Arena impersonation. That would be fun. Can we book you for that, Steve Davis? I'll even, I'll tell you another on another podcast. I'll tell you a great story uh, about a, an interaction me and Bruce had, and maybe I'll do it all in Bruce Arena uh, in, in, in imitation. Okay, perfect. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, and then the final group is Group F, which is the group of fun. LAF, the both the LAs. Wait, we skipped E. Oh, did we? Oh, we did screw. Oh, E. E for exception. Atlanta, Cincinnati, the Red Bulls, and the crew of Columbus. I will go first, and I will take... uh, I'll take uh, Columbus as a dark horse. You like Cato Porter, huh? Yeah, you know, who care? I, you know, nobody's... I'm not winning any money or losing any money on this, so why (laughs) not do something? Uh, Steve, who are you going to take? Atlanta? Yeah, I'll take the... uh, I'll, I'll take the chalk. All right. I'd go with Atlanta. Uh, and Buzzard? Yeah, I got FC Cincinnati to finish last. <laughs> <laughs> That's just as valid, I suppose. Yeah, I'll go with Atlanta. It is. Uh, I'll okay. go with Atlanta also. And then uh, Group F for Forgotten, uh, the two LAs, Houston and Portland. Um, Steve, you go first this time. Who was it when these groups first came out? Was it uh, which of my ESPN guys? Um uh, was it Alejandro or I, I don't know who, but they tried to tell me that this was the group of death. Yeah. And I thought, I well, did. I mean, it's, it's, it's LAFC. And of course, you know, the LAFC is very good, but we don't know about, uh, we don't know about Carlos Vela. I, I, I like LAFC, but don't try to between the rest of them. I, I don't know what, uh, uh, GSB, yeah, Bershaloto has in, in LA right now. And I'm not sure what Todd Ramos has going down at, down in Houston. And, uh, Portland, uh, you know, never I haven't been quite sure about them since uh, the middle of last year. So I think that one's all up in the air. I think it's going to be LAFC and then just a crap shoot after that. Buzz? Oh, I'm going to go crazy on this one. I'm going to say because they're going to be rested and healthy that Portland will win the group yeah. because Vela is going to bell. Mm. That's part of it. Okay. All right. Well, see, that's who I was going to pick, Buzz. So just to be different, I will uh, go with the good old Galaxy because I will never, ever pick the Houston Dynamo for anything positive. Well, to you guys' point, Portland's problem last year is they couldn't win back at home. So they're not at home. So maybe you're right. Yes. That is interesting that the home field advantage aspect of this is removed and and teams that are historically really good or really bad on the road or at home kind of becomes a non-starter in this entire conversation when just adding another reason why it's just an utter and total crapshoot. No fans. No fans. That's right. Yeah, it'll it'll change the atmosphere a lot, you know. Um, Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, I think we've got that done. We we knocked all that out. Does that satisfy you, Buzz? It does. Good. I thought that was fun. Thank you. All right. Uh, Steve, any last notes before we end this sucker? Nope. I just, I, I really super uh, hope that we get to see some soccer. We get to see MLS, uh, you know, the, the spiking rate of positive tests in Florida has everybody concerned and rightly so. And again, they're spiking everywhere else. So again, I say I, I, I'm still not convinced that taking these guys out of their home markets, putting them in a bubble isn't a little bit safer and I hope that's the case, and I hope we get to watch some soccer very quickly. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, that that I that theory w- was really good uh, until people showed up with the COVID, and now suddenly <laughs> until, until it wasn't <laughs> until it wasn't. Until it was there. Okay, uh, Steve Buzz, thank you so much for your time. It's it's always great to have you uh, on, Steve. Uh, we we need to get you on here more often, my friend. Always happy to help, man. All right, Buzz, thank you, sir. You're welcome. If you like what we do, support us at patreon.com slash third degree. Yeah, go do that. Thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We will speak to you next week on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Thomas Prince.